Babes! It's the Wildness! With Tiff and Manda! Whoop! <laughs> hey everyone, um, it's Manda. I have had to send you a young apology because I'm not in the studio again. Oh my god, I'm so bad. <gasps> Tiffany, forgive me. I love you and you're my favorite in the history of favorites. Um, but yeah, I am traveling. I am currently in Amsterdam. So bummed. So bummed that I can't be in the stew. Um, I don't know if they have introduced the topic yet, but if not, sucks to be them. Um, so today we have Haji in the stew. Haji um, is an author. She ha- an author, a journalist, a writer, extraordinaire. Uh, she has written, sorry, not sorry, Experiences of a Brown Woman in a White South Africa, um, a collection of essays about everything. Everything. And guys, it is brilliant. Um, I bought it at the airport on, uh, on the way to Amsterdam. And yeah, I did not watch the onboard entertainment thing 15 hours because I was reading this book and eating and napping. But you catch my drift. Like, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, I'm really sorry I'm not there. And I miss you all, especially you, Tiff, because you, you're my favorite. Mwah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Wildness with Tiff and apparently Manda, who is not here. She's not in the studio today. And it's actually just, it's just a mess. It's actually a mess. But as you heard, she has sent her apologies and we love her. But who we do have in the studio today? Who do we have in the studio today? Who are you, my love? Um, so I am Haji. Mm-hmm. Should I say my surname? It's so warm. Yes. Yes. Uh, I'm Haji Mohammed Daji, and I'm so honored and so nice to be here. Oh and thanks God. for having me. Guys, you can't see her, but she's cute af. Like, me and Amanda, we were discussing this. We're like, nah, no, she can only be picture cute. Nah, you know, some people look good on Instagram. Some people look good, like, doing things. And obviously, book covers and stuff, you gotta look cute. Yeah, yeah, it's lots of Photoshop going on there. No, no, guys, she is legit, like, life cute. So, it's it's awkward in the studio. You are she's very married. shy now. No, she's married. Like, some of us are engaged. It's awkward the studio now for Tiff (laughs) and not Manda because she's not here. Guys, I'm just going to continue dragging her. But to kick this off, we're going to ask you to read something Mm. from your book. And yeah, obviously, we're going to ask you to read like your father's speech because your father is a champ. Like he's like the goat. He is the MVP. Like I'm even trying to find it. Oh, my Lord. Like it's here somewhere. Uh Aha. Cool. I'll do that. Okay. Let's go. Okay, I'm just going to read the whole thing, else it's not going to make sense. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Assalamu alaikum. <laughs> Good evening, Molo Namaste. Haji, Rebecca, honored guests, family and friends. It is indeed a great honor for us, my wife Gori and I, to be sharing this wonderful occasion with you. As my family will attest, I'm not one for long speeches. That's a lie. Um, <laughs> life is short and there's much to do. Frankly, I'm really no good at public speaking. Also a lie. Uh, my interpretation of life is that is it uh, that it is analogous to a game, and in any game one needs to know and understand the rules. For it is in knowing the rules that one can challenge and rewrite them. No rules were transgressed, trespassed, or breached here today. Instead, a lesson should be taken from this testimony of love as to how honest and beautiful the rules of life can be when sincerely applied. In my line of work, we act on scientific proof. We are trained not to prescribe any treatment that does not have any evidence of benefit. 
An interesting antidote to this paradigm that I came across in the movie The Man Who Knew Infinity is, and I quote, there are no proofs, no underlying laws that can determine the outcome of matters of the heart. Love is love. We are because of love. We live by it and we shall return to it. Society can be fragmented in so many ways, but the end, in the end, it is love and friendship that hold us together. Congratulations, Rebecca and Haji. I wish you all the happiness in the world and love you both dearly. Just as you have today rekindled the true meaning of the rule of love, I have no doubt that you will strive in your writing and your influence to free society from its blind adherence to dogma in favor of righteousness. May Allah bless you both. Ah, oh, yes. And that was from your wedding. Yes, that to, was from my wedding. To your very own Becky. Yeah, to my Guys, to my Becky with the good hair. You have a Becky with the good <laughs> You took away my line. I was waiting sorry. to ask I'm about so if sorry. you have a Becky and if she has good hair. You know, her hair is, is lovely, but sometimes I have to assist with the loveliness. You have to assist the with the... making of the loveliness. <laughs> no, okay, we will get to that. But first, let us start with... The book in general. Dude, like, how did it come about? How did it come about? And do you still have any white friends after this book? Like, no, legit, do you still um, have Yeah, some friends? of my best friends are white. <laughs> <laughs> some of your best friends white. <laughs> um, no, so the, so the book is, can we swear on this podcast? Yes, oh my fuck, oh, okay. yes. Okay, um, so the book, it's actually a very interesting story. So I had um, Yolisa... Um, I'm going to mess up her surname now. Let me rather not say it. But she's lovely. <laughs> mm -hmm. And she had a book called Writing What We Like. It was a collection of essays that mm -hmm. she edited. And so one of my essays that first appeared on the Mail and Guardian website was used in her book. And then I was part of a panel at the book lounge in Cape Town. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of white tears in that panel going on. <laughs> and then... I, I was asked by a, a lady who was giving me this long story about like, oh, you know, I'm a good white and I go to the township and I work with oh kids Lord. and oh like, you Lord. know, all these things. Because a lot of people think that, you know, like the, working with people of color and like brown people and black people and the youth and like treating their domestic workers well, like it excuses their privilege, mm. you know. It's sort of like your privilege just disappears yeah. because like, you know, I'm nice. Though. But it doesn't. And mm. a lot of people are very confused by the the, the um, idea of privilege or, the, you know, the factualness of privilege mm -hmm. because they think privilege equals economics. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't. Privilege doesn't mean that you have a market share in like white capitalism. It means that because of white capitalism, you're able to move through the world. In like in a completely a, different yes, way. Yes, in a very different way, in a quite like an entitled way, you know. Mm. And so they don't understand it. So I was trying to explain this to this lady. And, you know, she kept hanging on and hanging on. And then I was just like, she asked me, well, what do you want white people to do? Mm -hmm. You know? And I just, like, it just burst out of me. <clears throat> I don't even know where it came from. <coughs> Sorry, the words. And I was just like, you know, white people just need to shut the fuck up. Nice. And they need to just sit back and they need to do more listening and less talking. Yes. And less owning of the conversation and just maybe some self-reflection mm. and try and get some enlightenment and start to interrogate things. Because I'm actually so tired of asking that question, being asked that question. Because I don't go around asking white people, you know, what is your white privilege about? Yeah. You know, explain that to me. And so I don't have to explain anymore. And you must just listen because if you listen, you learn. You will learn and you'll actually know <coughs> what the hell to do. Yes, it's exactly. Just like, that's, oh, that's brilliant. Just shut the fuck up. 
Yeah, just, and it, I mean, it was quite aggressive, but at that point, I just got so saturated, and I was like, I don't know how else to say this, mm-hmm. you know. And then in the audience, obviously, was the publisher of Yulisa's book, and then she came, and I wasn't expecting this at all, and she came up to me, and she was like, you know, you're really funny, and, like, I think your opinions are important, and we really want to do want you to write a book and like whatever. And then it was like a process, you know, meetings and, you know, all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I started to feel, I loved the editor, Naima Masood, she's lovely and I hope that I can work with her one day. But I started to feel a little bit uncomfortable with this process. Mm-hmm. And then um, I, I, I just went with Penguin and I must say I'm just grateful that I did. I have no regrets like going about with Penguin. it. Yeah. No, okay, so we haven't even said what the name of the book is. It is called Sorry Not Sorry Experiences of a Brown Woman in a White South Africa. It is brilliant. Thank so, you. Also, you sold us dreams, hey? We need to talk about how you sold us dreams <laughs> because the the title of the book gives this impression that it's like purely about race and like you're just gonna like go on about race for like thinking yeah. for like however how many pages are up in here I there's think like like 200 and there's something. like yeah 197 yeah so then you pick up the book and it's a series of essays which i also found like really really interesting i did not know it was a series of essays i was like chancing my hell when i walked into <laughs> exclusive books and they're like hand over money i was like ah, why now why? yeah <laughs> but like it's not just about race it's about everything like it's it's about life it's 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 your, yeah. It's it's your life, but it's about life. Yeah. And you read it, and I know Amanda has said this, like when we were discussing the book. She's like, I feel like we're friends now. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, no, I get that. I'm like, I get that. Cause yeah. you remember when I first got the book, I was like, okay, I might like live WhatsApp you, and I was really joking. I ended up live WhatsApping you. Didn't yeah, I kind of enjoyed that experience. Like, it was, I was a little bit intimidated at first because like, yo, what's gonna come now? What's like, gonna what's come what's next? Going on? No, sat there, so I, I to give context, because, you know, Tiff's always drinking wine, I bought the book, and I went to, like, one of my favorite bars in Rosebank, and I ordered wine, and I sat there for, like, five hours. It was wow. a mess. By the end, I was a little bit drunk. Yes, that's fine. <laughs> and there's times when I was, like, balancing tears, and there's times I'm, like, hosing myself out loud. It was just, it was everything. And so we had our favorite chapters, right? So mine is, a brain tumor can change your mind, like... My whole life. Right, that's my, the one that the speech is Yeah, from. that's yeah. the one the speech came from, and it's, like, about your, like, your dad, and you oh, my gosh, yes. And then begging to be white, babes, <laughs> babes. I think that is the most hilarious <laughs> shit I have ever read. I was just like, I can't deal. I can't deal. It's like, now that we're going to push that slaveless boat out yes. a little further. <laughs> also, got Heike jealous that you are so hilarious on paper. Like, I'm used to being hilarious on I'm paper. glad you say that because I'm actually quite insecure. What? About that. Like, I'm quite insecure about... I don't know. I feel like humor can be quite um, self-indulgent mm-hmm. at times. And I think the book itself, I was very worried that it was going to be self-indulgent. And I was very aware of that because we kind of live in this, you know, digital age where people are, like, constantly your... When people go take a cuck, even, they're tweeting about it. Dude, you know, they're, like, live-tweeting. You, you've seen people, like, Facebook live yeah. from the toilet. Like, yeah. that's a real thing. You that's- know, and I was so, like, aware of that um, constantly. And, and, and the humor was, like, part of that because I didn't want people to think that, you know, she's trying so hard mm-hmm. to be funny. Um, no, no, it landed. Uh, but I no, think I am a funny person. You like, are humor a is a huge person. defense mechanism for me. So Oh, do you use it as a, uh, Yeah, no, I do that too. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> they, it's, they don't know our life. They don't know our struggle. Okay, they don't know our life. Yeah, and our exactly. Struggle. And like, okay, so now the other one that had Amanda in her complete and utter feels, 
don't touch me on my techies. Like, she just, she just, she couldn't deal. She's like, it's the most profound thing I've ever read. She put that on the Google Doc. She, she really? just highlighted it. And she's like, <laughs> it's the most profound thing. And it's fine. So she actually, like, was just spent the whole time going to Amsterdam, right. reading your book. She oh. was on the plane the entire time. And then activated, you know, like those little, um, what's it? Yes. The, uh, the 20 megabytes or yes, whatever. Yes, the free, She's yeah. like, Tiff, are you awake? Tiff, Tiff, Tiff. And I'm like, <laughs> what? And she's like, this book. This book is everything. It's everything. Oh, man. That's, no, that we, makes me happy. And she loves it. And we love it. Guys, Tiffany has made me choose one part of one essay in this entire book that I love and I want to read. I mean, I want to freaking do an audio thing of the whole damn book. But anyway, I'm going to choose one. Um, she said a paragraph, you know. I'm going to read a couple of pages because, you know, it's hard. It's hard to choose. It's hard to just cut things off. Okay? It's really hard. Um, but, yeah, I'm reading from a chapter called Don't Touch Me On My Dickies where Haji speaks about why why sneakers um, are, are important to, to, to brown and black people. And I'm going to start at a spot where she has just spoken about a pair of Converse that she had to replace. And it goes a little something like this. It was a sad day when I had to replace them. They saw me through undergrad and postgrad degrees. They walked me in and out of school at my first real job. They dragged me through Europe and a couple of places in Asia. They saw Everest from the hills in Darjeeling and sweated their way through Goa. They trudged their way across the couple paths of, a couple paths of Nottingham where I worked in a store illegally. That pair of shoes journeyed across 12 years worth of life experience. They followed more roads than a global nomad and kicked the sand and grass at more parks than a ranger. Until I had to replace that pair in 2016, I never paid more than 200 or 300 for Converse. Can you imagine my shock and disappointment when the new pair cost me 700 hill rents? Then it struck me. Converse is the shoe equivalent of gentrification. Babes. Babes. That line changed my life. Anyway, I digress. Sorty shoes. That's what they used to call Converse in white communities. I cannot count the number of times teachers commented on my feet when I wore them to Civvy's Day. They told me I shouldn't wear them because they were the shoes of criminals. Converse were never white people's shoes. In their eyes, Converse All-Stars were the shoes of the other. And that's exactly what they saw every time they turned on the television or took a wrong turn on their way to safe suburbia. And with the sight of these shoes on the wrong feet came all kinds of sorty conclusions. To us, the dickies were never a problem. Converse All-Stars were not sorts of shoes. They were the symbol of a lifestyle. Converse meant you belonged to a certain community. And if you took care of them, you always had something to be proud of, no matter what. They were top of the range when compared to other techies. Guys, I like, I like the way she's written that because I just want to say techie. Anyway, I digress once again. Um, they were the range when compared to other techies at the time, but still relatively affordable. And the extra rands were worth it because of the shoes, quality, and length of time you were able to wear them for. To us, these takers were never the problem. And they weren't a problem to white people until they entered their communities on brown feet. Then all that changed. The takers started showing up in suburbs. They started showing up in places where there were hardly any people of color. The rock clubs, the skateboarding communities of Cape Town 
the coffee shops of Parkhurst. You get the idea. In the past, I would enter these environments and get nothing but judgmental stares. Then things changed. The culture of Converse changed. The vibe changed. To white people, these stickies weren't the problem anymore. The best way to destroy part of a culture, even if this is as material as a pair of shoes, is to take it from its people. The power of white people to take things never dies, but our ability to access the things that once belonged to us suffers endless extinction. Even as a middle-class person of color, 700 rand is a hefty price to pay for a pair of shoes that saw me and a generation before me through life. And now we pay the price of a people who have always wanted us to do the things they want us to do in order to be accepted. Not recognized, just accepted. In other words, in other words, it's now acceptable for people of color to wear all-stars because white people wear them, while the rightful owners of the trend go unrecognized. Guys, like, what a whole wow. What a wow. Do you have favorite chapters, by the way? Are you allowed to have favorite chapters? Or they're like children? Are they like children? You must love them all? No, they're not like children. I, I definitely don't love them all. There's some that I'm still quite like, oh, you know, I don't know about this one. Like, I was worried that I was going to... Even gonna... in all its published glory, you're still like, yeah. you're still touching yeah, gold. Yeah, 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 definitely. Like, I'm still, I'm still, when I walk into a bookshop and I see the book, I'm still quite like shy and like coy and like a little bit embarrassed. I'm like, oh... It's, it's I don't know, guys. And, like, and you know, it's like number one in some like places, hey? I mean, so I hear. Yeah, no, hey? Like, <laughs> it's out here being number it's one. Very, it's things. a very humbling thing because like you never expect that to happen. And especially with this book because it's, I think it falls under the category of um, biography or something. That, that, actually, what does it fall under? Because it's definitely I think not it like does, hiking fiction. No, I think it does fall under like biography Ah, I don't know, but like I think it is that, mm-hmm. and I always feel so like, like, yo, like I just want to hide when I hear that because I'm just like, it just feels, it doesn't feel right. Like it doesn't feel like a person like me, like a nobody, should have something called a biography because biographies are for, or rather autobiographies or whatever, are for significant, like important people. But then it just you know? shows the idea that a story, no matter where it is, is still important. Yeah, because yeah, like, definitely. Because you're, uh, yeah, like, I, I can't have a podcast where all I say to you is, this book is life. But I feel like that that is that is how this podcast might go. But, like, reading it, because I'm not, like, the way I was telling you, I'm not a huge fan of, like, you know, biographies and autobiographies. Yeah. I'm like, okay, look, I'll just Google you. I'm not going to buy a whole book. Yeah. But, like, there's something about this that felt... It didn't feel biography-esque. Yeah. It didn't feel autobiography. Like, it didn't, you, yes, you're telling your story. Yeah. And like, and I can understand why you'd be like, oh my gosh, would it become like self-indulgent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's not. It's It unpacks so many things. That's why I'm like, you sold us dreams. With this like, <laughs> oh, you're just going to talk about race thing. But you, you talk about like life. You talk about like life. Yeah. And, yeah. But you talk about it through the lens of sort of your experience. And I think that's what I loved most about this book. Like the way even Amanda was saying, we feel like you, we're your friends now. Like, this is really awkward. You should never have added me on WhatsApp. I could use more friends, so that's nice. <laughs> you are actually so sweet and shy. You are just adorable. I could die. I could die. Now, now I have to ask you, like, all the, the random questions about, like, how this, this book and 
how it's impacted the people who appear in it. Sure. Like your family and Rebecca. Yeah. And, and so did you have to go through a whole process where you had to go checking up with everyone and being like, are you cool with this? Or did you just write and you're no. like, hey. And you're just like, where the chips fall, whatever happens. Yeah. Because you, you, you do go into things. Like you, you talk about your family and your family dynamics and how sometimes that was difficult. Yeah. And like even that story where Rebecca runs outside. Like, <laughs> I mean, she's run away from me a few times. Can I just tell you a quick little, <laughs> little story? So the one about like her running away at the bar during that fight, that's the one story, right? Mm-hmm. But let's say, and she's going to kill me when she hears this. But the second one <laughs> is we were walking on Long Street mm-hmm. the one day. And I was wearing my, uh, my backpack. And um, so we're walking and it's full and it's like packed and stuff. And then out of nowhere, I felt, because I'm like quite streetwise. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like very aware and I'm like streetwise and like, you know. And I felt this hand in the back like the little pocket in the front of my backpack. And I grabbed it mm-hmm. immediately and then I turned around. And at the same time I turned around, there was this beautiful like Kenyan woman. I'm pretty sure she was a model. Mm-hmm. And she started screaming because she saw this guy try and take my wallet mm-hmm. from, the, from the back of my bag. And then she started like mooring him, like hitting him like mm-hmm. properly, you know. And I just had his, grabbed his hand and I just like pushed him away. And I was like, bruh. <laughs> what are you doing? Well, like what kind, you know. Like, uh, please, man. <laughs> Like, and then like all on. this is happening and people from across the street it was like it was like kangaroo court like <laughs> like mafia mentality like everyone just came and like start hitting this guy and like whatever and me I'm just standing there and like laughing you know because I'm like ah oh, shit happens he didn't get it like what you gonna do you yeah. know what I mean and then I'm like looking around <laughs> and I can't see my wife <laughs> and like I didn't even have to think twice about it because I knew she ran away. You know what? Some people have fight or flight. Some people just have flight, guys. Yeah. And then I'm like, Ay, guys, now I must look for this child in the whole of town. And then I just phoned her. Like, I'm standing there while this big ruckus is going on on the side. I'm like, hey, now I must phone her. I phone and she's like, uh, yeah, I'm standing around the corner on Strand Street. And then I found her there, like, doing this, like, dilly-dally thing with her legs and, like, her phone in her hand. And she was like... What happened? I was like, I was pickpocketed almost. Where were you? She was like, no, I thought you started a fight and I wasn't, I didn't want to get involved. I was scared. I was like, that is even worse. If you thought I started a fight, then you should have be been there. there. You were supposed to be my backstop. But I just started laughing. I was like, yeah. It's okay, White guys. people. No, guys, like, let your white wife White people away. are not street. No, you see, that's the thing. That's another no. thing we need to ask. Like, we just go segue nicely into that. How are you with a white woman? Bruh, like, you and you knew this question was coming. No, you've been asked, I, I, I've been asked this question. And there are times when I've been, like, funny about it. And I've said, guys, the best thing a person of color can do is marry a white person. Because <laughs> then you've got them. It's a lockdown. Like, they can't go anywhere. <laughs> You can just tune them, you know. The, 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 the race has been infiltrated. Yeah, yeah. But, but like, the honest story is, like, mm-hmm. I don't mind when black people or brown people ask me that question mm-hmm. because I do feel like it's, it's a relevant question. Mm-hmm. But it offends me tremendously when white people ask me that question mm-hmm. because there's this notion in... in Indian communities mm-hmm. and in colored communities and in white communities that if you marry a white person, mm-hmm. you marry up. Oh, no, black communities too. Yeah. Unless, unless like, yeah, no, black communities too. Yeah, yeah. if mm-hmm. you marry a white person, you marry up, mm. right? 
And if you marry a brown person, you, you marry down. down, right? Now, it's okay for a brown person to marry another brown person. That's fine. But white people think that if white people marry a brown person, they marry down. Mm. And so when they ask me that question... It's loaded. Yeah, it's loaded. It's a loaded question, you know. And it's also a question that automatically implies why are you so opposed to this advertisement of the rainbow nation when it's because of that, you know, pseudo-democracy that you're allowed to cr cross that, that color bar yeah. and have this interracial marriage in like you, it's like whatever. that high thing of you get nice things because yeah like exactly you, you're upset at a exactly. context where you get nice things yeah like like um last week friday this this wonderful writer mari levita is a profile writer for the afrikaans um dailies i think i actually had this discussion with you and he shared the profile he did of me on um facebook mm -hmm. and this one woman who's also a journalist for the afrikaans institution I guess <laughs> and it is an institution and uh, she responded to this thing and she was like oh how can you say you don't believe in rainbow nationists and like your slip is showing and you know like you you went to white schools and you got a university degree and like your dad is so successful and like you know all that all that stuff and I was like how actually like how dare you mm -hmm. like it's like you're saying like you allowed me into the space to have that and and now and now you're ungrateful yeah it's sort yeah. of like it's like yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. you're in off the and garden and i'm like fuck that man mm -hmm. like i am as entitled to that shit and anyone else of color is as well but you stole that from us mm -hmm. you know you took those opportunities from us and then shut us especially out. our parents and our grandparents and stuff mm -hmm. and now that i have it i must be grateful no that's not going to happen. It's like when people look at me and they go, oh, you, got, you live in Seapoint, you got a nice flat, you got nice shoes, you got nice clothes, you wear nice watches, you know, like, what's your problem? I'm like, then who the fuck must wear these things? No, apparently only white people. Exactly. It's only white people you don't question when they have nice things. Exactly. Kids. Then who the fuck must have these things? Like, I, I'm going to wear them. Yes. You know, my, my people worked hard for this. Like, they worked hard to get me where I am. You know, and I worked hard to get me where I am. And I'm going to have the nice things. You must have nice things. And that doesn't mean that I don't recognize underprivileged people. And it doesn't mean I don't recognize the people who are still out there and, like, struggling and, and that the struggle is real and whatever, because those are still my people. But you are not my people. No. So you can't come into this circle and, like, comment on that. And getting back to the original question, like, mm -hmm. so that's why that question is so loaded Yeah. when it comes from white people. But... The answer for my people mm -hmm. is that, you know, I'm always reminded of this, of this um, conversation that James Baldwin had with Maya Angelou. Because mm -hmm. Maya Angelou had three white ex-husbands. What? Yeah. What? She married white men three times. Wait, three times? Three times. Guys, and a white and a man. I don't think no, I No, 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 wait, I'm lying. I'm lying. Two white ex-husbands and one black ex-husband was actually South African. That's still... That's... Still more than the zero, I thought that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So having to explain that's a lot of levels of privilege yeah. you have to. Like, so by navigate. the time she married the second, um, by the time she was dating, mm -hmm. the the second husband that she eventually married, the second white guy, she was already like a voice, you know, in in society and in the world, mm -hmm. you know, and she was a struggle icon, and she was a protest icon, and she was like a savior, and and like quite legit, you know, she was like this legit black woman and when she got around like to this guy that's where she was in her life and in, in the world and like her identity and stuff had been built around this mm -hmm. 
And she was afraid of that question. So she kept it a secret. But she went to James Baldwin and she said, you know, I'm in love with this man and he wants to marry me. Mm-hmm. And she, he just looked at her and said, like, and you're afraid of what people are going to say because he's white and because of who you are. Mm. And he said to her, but you go around preaching, whether directly or indirectly, that people must love, that they must learn to love. Mm -hmm. And the only way in loving is to be able to overcome. And that's what your struggle is all about. And that's what your writing is all about, you know. Because people think it's nice for us to be angry all the time. It's not. They think it's nice to be pain, have pain and mm. be angry and like, you know, whatever. Mm. When actually we, we want to have these conversations and we want to have these discrepancies mm-hmm. because it's important to recognize our differences and to really interrogate and investigate them and make them very, very clear um, so that eventually we can not let go of our pain, but we can have some semblance of understanding for it yeah. and we can move past it to get to a place of love. Dude. And in my relationship with Rebecca, that love is so pure mm-hmm. because it's a place that I want to be in with the rest of the world. Yeah. But I'm not there yet, but it's nice that I can have it And And it's, it's, it's almost like a manifestation of what could be. Yeah. Like, and it's not like some utopia, you know. We have difficult conversations. But I respect her so much for not being a based white, you know. A based white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For not like being like those woke whites, like the oh, front yeah, lines yeah. of like protests and like they loud. And they, and and they, like, and they know that And they're speaking on behalf of and they got this Jesus complex and mm-hmm. like whatever, you know. I respect her so much for not having that. And she's honestly the only white person I have ever met who is politically aligned with me, morally aligned with me, spiritually aligned with me, mm-hmm. but at the same time stays in a lane while also being open to education and insight and self-interrogation. Dude. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, like... I feel we might have to drag her into the studio now. Like, Amanda was asking, she's like, do we have white women on the podcast? Because, like, you know, we want to do another one with you and we want to do it, like, on your relationship and relationshiping in general. Because that's another thing I need to ask. Because you've been with other white people. I right? have, yeah. Dude, like, so, because now I think with the, with, like, can I call her Becky? I can't, I, ha- I oh, really she feel like... That, but I does mean, she, oh, she hates that, but I you know what? It's her name. I just... <laughs> Fine. She can be called what she... She hates it because of the song and also she doesn't want to be a basic white. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, Oh, because the the song is not loyal. No, no. Because when when I realized who you're with, that that is all that ran through my head. Like, all I could think was like, oh, my gosh, you got a Becky with the good hair. It's been in my head also. No, it's okay. (laughs) It's okay. So now with... So now I... Because I think now what you've just said, I understand like your relationship with Rebecca but you were even with a white dude weren't you is is that yeah how number one actually number one can I ask you what you identify as because you know we must be woke about these things I now. identify as white no jokes <laughs> <laughs> so like wait in terms of sexuality the only thing white about me is my shoes <laughs> no you should see whoa like her shoes are on point guys she got these Air Jordans on yeah, we're going to put them on the gram because <laughs> these Air Jordans need to be on the gram. And apparently she, you've got how many pairs of Air Jordans? No, I've only got, well, three now. You've got three? Yeah. Yeah, because you got gifted some yesterday. Guys, what a wonderful thing, hey? What People a are wow. nice. People so are nice. you were on um, Real Talk with Anela, right? Yes. And they just, like, surprised you a la Oprah. 
with yes with, with Air Jordans, guys. Yo, I didn't even know like people do that. It was do, you know so you've lovely. arrived, hey? You've arrived. Like you've arrived. You're like next you're gonna be on Ellen and what she's gonna oh, give you a man, house. I'm gonna keep that in my heart like always. <laughs> like that was just like, so amazing. They just like randomly brought them out. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> So many edges. Like pure surprise. It was gorgeous. What color are they? What do they look um, like? They black and gray, and they're the Nike Air Jordans Retro Three. I think that's what they're called. Oh, yeah. Guys, sneakers have names, eh? Yeah. Like they're just proper not titles. Like proper titles. <laughs> you don't just buy sneakers. Proper titles. You gotta know these things. <laughs> so wait. Okay. So sexuality-wise, what do you identify as? Gay. Gay. Yeah. No, nice. Gay, nice. pseudo-Muslim, brown woman. Nice. Yeah. Because, you know, this, like, sexuality and identity politics have gotten on 100 these days. Yo, hey? guys, it's real. I can't... Wow, I'm I embarrassed to say, but, like, I can't keep up. And I'm so scared sometimes mm. because it's, it's, you know, it's, like, above me. And it's very intellectualized. And, like, you know, it should be. But... Like, yeah, no. So I don't think I'm, 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 I'm wise or smart enough to enter some of those conversations. Like, because like, of some of the work like we do, we end up like in a lot of sexuality as conferences yeah. and things. Yo, you will fuck around and misgender somebody or miss, miss um, sexuality identities. I don't know what the phrase yeah. is. Miss, yeah. miss sexuality somebody. So like you'll be on a panel and you'll be like, yeah, so as lesbians, then somebody loses their shit. Yeah. Because they are like, I'm not lesbian, I'm pan. And you're like, Non-conformist. Yeah, gender, gender non-conforming. Like it's a lot, yeah. And you know, there's like, you know, there was that whole vibe of they and stuff. There's yeah. now something like zero. It's zero or it starts with Z. Okay. So now it's a new level of yeah. gender. Yeah, see, I can't even pretend to be, um, like, prophetic or, like, out there about those conversations and, and speak on behalf of people and sexuality in that way because I'm just hoping to, like, educate myself more on it because it's yeah. moving quite really fast and, and it should and it's, like, out there and, like, you know, whatever. But, um, yeah, I'm just not – I'm just not – I'm too – uh, self-aware and too insecure to have self-aware about my ignorance about it mm. and too insecure to enter into a lot of those conversations. So I spend a lot of time like watching and listening and like learning and yeah and I want to get there but I don't want to pretend like I'm there you Guys, know what I mean. white folk learn from Haji. Just <laughs> sit and listen and just learn. Yeah. I mean you don't know it's fine but yeah like so that the reason I asked you is because in your book you were married to a whole dude. How was that? Like, You're a whole guy. A whole guy. Yeah. Um, so at that at that point in time, I didn't identify as gay. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a problem with it, and I always had like um, crushes on women, and like you know, I was quite like I guess I was quite gender fluid or like sexually fluid rather. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it wasn't like I wasn't having like an identity crisis, so mm -hmm. to speak, sexually when I married this guy. Oh, okay. but I was having. Um, I guess like a cultural and traditional identity crisis where I felt like I didn't quite fit in anywhere and like settling down and like getting married and like doing those things mm -hmm. um, to me, like in my observation was something that was like admired mm -hmm. and was like an achievement. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, like out of pure desperation to try and find somewhere to like fit in, you know, not that he wasn't a good guy or that I did have some semblance of love for him and respect, um, I ended up doing this thing, and you guys got married after how long again? It was a couple of years, like three years. We were on and off for like three years. Yeah, guys, on and off. Guys, on and off. Isn't that exhausting? Very, 
Because and, like, and we were 19 years apart, hey? I was 26 yes, I and he was 41. Where did you find this 41-year-old man? He used to be like my brother's saxophone mentor because he was a, mu- a musician, so... Your brother's saxophone mentor, I love that. Yeah. No, guys, also, don't date jazz people. Does he play jazz? Yeah, guys. Oh, what? You don't love yourself. Everybody knows you only <laughs> watch jazz. You never sleep with jazz, guys. No, it's just a thing. <laughs> you don't sleep with jazz. This is a thing. Anyway, the marriage lasted six months, and then I just fell into, like, a really huge depressive episode. Mm-hmm. And I went to a clinic, and I spent a lot of time there, and a lot of time, like, um, inspecting, like, things in my life and whatever and coming to peace with myself, which is a journey, you know. So I wasn't completely at peace with myself, but I started to interrogate things in my life that didn't feel right. And the marriage was one of them. And I was afraid to tell my parents where I was at and what I was thinking. Um, But then the day I got out of the clinic, he dropped me at my parents' house. Um, And I was sitting in my old bedroom and I was reading a book and I was feeling so depressed still, you know, because I was like, oh, you know, I don't know what to do with this thing and I don't know how to tell my parents and I don't want to disappoint them because I feel like it's the first time I made them proud and by getting married yes mm-hmm. and then in between reading like my my dad just walked in and said are you okay you don't you know you don't look okay and I just um, you know I'm fine but then I was getting like emotional and he just knew you know there was something about him that just knew and he just looked at me and he said let me tell you something and he said Dodgers don't carry baggage so whatever baggage that is, mm-hmm. and I knew what he was referring to and he knew what I was thinking mm-hmm. without ever having to say those words. And he said, whatever ba- baggage you're carrying, mm-hmm. just put it down and move on. And that was all the permission I needed. And Wow. Yeah. Your, your dad just stays like being like a low-key MVP, hey? Like... Yeah. But it's, t- it's taken it from oh, the book. It's, 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 it's been taken a, a brain tumor. <laughs> yeah, no, hey guys. Yeah, it's so no, like, that's not even like a joke. It actually has, because that, that is the, like the thingy, the chapter. But like, so in terms of your family and this journey that you've gotten here, like it's mm. how, like there's so much in terms of your family and being a brown woman. And so I, I think I have like a million and one questions. I'm actually trying to order them. So I'm going to start first with the sexuality thing. Okay. How you are a brown like, you're an Indian woman. How? How, Chum? And you're Muslim? And, like, how? Because <laughs> I, think, I think a lot of people will probably wonder about that. Yeah. Because I know with me, my mom is, like, serious Christian. She, she lives in Congo. She works okay. with you and lives in Congo. So you, have you ever seen Congolese pastors? No. Can't wow. say that I have. Yo, yo. Like, just think of every charismatic pastor you've ever thought of. Yeah. Who comes and everything's hellfire. Everything's a little bit loud. Yeah. Like, they come in and they just want to pray for you, like, all the time. So, yeah. like, my mom is that type of Christian. Yeah. Like, you know, just with the thing and always asking me, are you going to church? I haven't been to church since I moved to Joburg. It is killing her. Yeah. She's dying a slow death. And then, obviously, being black. With me and my sexuality, she struggled, struggled really hard, then seemed to get over it. Mm. And now is in some sort of weird almost disassociative state where sometimes she'll look at me and she'll be like, I'm really looking forward to meeting, like I'm really looking forward to playing golf with my son-in-law. I'm like, you know, I've been with my partner for eight years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've met my partner. Yeah. She stayed in your house. Like, what what are you 
so but she probably engages with that like oh it's a phase and she's an just a friend phase. and eight year phase yeah. guys it gets to a point so like with you and your family and hey yeah it was i mean i lived a dualistic life for like a really long time mm-hmm. um and I've been like out of the house for like a long time, like as well, you know. So in some ways it was easy to have like a home haji or like a family haji mm. and to have like my haji, like, you know, like a personal haji. Yeah. But I, you're out there doing yeah, you. But that awareness, like it never leaves you and it's always quite like uncomfortable and it's it's depressing and it's a existential crisis like it's an emotional landslide all the time you're just waiting for the mind to slide you know mm-hmm. and um i started to feel terrible and selfish when i dated other women because they came from like freer more open-minded societies mm-hmm. where they they could come out to their parents or their parents knew and then they knew about me mm-hmm. and I could visit them or their families and, you know, but they were always cheated out of that with, with me, you know. And it was difficult for me to make them invisible and it was difficult for them to be invisible. Mm. And it was really crap. Like, it's a crap thing to do to someone, mm. you know. Um, but the coming out journey is everyone's personal journey. And when I met Beck, I just wanted to be a better person with her. And for her. So it was it was actually Rebecca. Like yeah, it was yeah. like a huge wow. And and well, you I guys just are a bit of a love story for the ages, hey? <laughs> yeah. And I just I just made peace with like myself and a lot of relationships in my life and it it was difficult, but I thought, you know, people die, mm. you know, and they leave. And we don't know when that's gonna be. And the natural course of things is that your parents die first mm-hmm. and they leave you. And so you can't build your world around other people's expectations. Yeah. And the person you love the most in the world doesn't deserve to be invisible. And I just got to a point where, like, whether they accept this or not, I'm okay with it, mm. whatever happens. Mm-hmm. And I won't hate them for it. Mm-hmm. I will love them still. And whether they want to hear about that love in terms of like a relationship after this or whether they don't, that's their choice and I have to respect that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so in a nutshell, that's where I was at and I just told them. And the biggest thing that was in my way of telling them for such a long time was this religion thing, okay. you know, because I've not been like a, a conservative practicing Muslim for like a long time Mm -hmm. because from when I was a child I remember like I questioned everything Mm -hmm. you know and I hated this notion of like God is just out there to get you you know he's like watching you and like you know yeah and he he wants to punish you and Mm. there's right things and there's wrong things and there's hell and there's heaven and Mm. like I hated that that whole notion and then I also hated the what I saw around me in society like the treatment of like women and like women must sit separately from men at like some weddings and like at mosque and I was just like this is such bullshit like I hate it like I actually mm-hmm. don't like it you know and I was starting to see people <clears throat> who are really shit people who like pray five times a day or like go to the mosque who don't read anything except the Quran and like all the stuff and I was like no like my idea of heaven and hell is like here 
on mm-hmm. earth mm-hmm. and it's our interactions with people and we make a heaven for ourselves and for each other or we make life hell for ourselves and each other mm. you know so i don't believe in like a heaven and hell i believe in good and bad and being a good person being a bad person and i believe that our our prayers and the way we speak to each other and treat each other mm-hmm. and our truth you know and our ability to be sincere and real um and our ability to potentially like make a difference in people's lives cuz like like again my angel said people will forget what you um said or did but they'll never forget the way you made them feel yeah you know i love that quote so much yeah and so also with that i just i just made my peace with it and i was just like i'm very educated on like islam and like other religions and i read excessively and i read like scientific stuff and academic stuff and historical stuff and like religious stuff yeah that's why um, the chapter like on is uh, like women in women islam, in islam. Yeah. was bomb like i was reading it and i was just like hey hello like yeah and a lot of people don't know the facts you know the facts are the facts mm. and and they don't know that and So I I keep maintaining this education and I keep like absorbing this information because when I have these conversations and it's a conversation that I don't want to educate like other people outside of the religion are, are secondary to me mm-hmm. you know people inside the religion that's my focus because I need you to know whether you accept it or not it's not my business but I need you to know what the facts are mm. and If I'm going to have that conversation, I need to come with receipts. I need to yeah. bring the yeah. files. You I can't be talking out of my ass. You can't just be like, these are the things that I feel in my heart yeah. about that. No. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's just where I'm at. And I got to a point with my family where I was like, I know the facts. Mm-hmm. And I'm educated. And I know what is supposed to be my religion. And I know what is your religion. And I, I, I'm firm in my belief that I know more about it. than any other muslim person mm-hmm. i've come across in that specific society so mm-hmm. far and so i knew where i was coming from from a religious perspective if 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 they had to challenge me on that mm-hmm. and they didn't because as my my dad has gone through life like he's become more sufi than orthodox you know okay then shia and sunni and like whatever and uh sufism is very spiritual and very meditative and it leaves a lot of um space mm-hmm. for spirituality and like personal experience and love like it's all about love yeah and i think that's also where his speech was yeah. coming from oh that speech guys that speech oh lord like and it's fine i'll go and reread it later <laughs> but yeah so now with because now it's culminated to a point where your dad gave this like incredible speech mm. and and you just it just is it like a bit of a happy ending type thing like how how is the actually the relationship between your like Your it's better than it's ever been. Really? Honestly, like my relationship with my family has always been extremely fractured mm-hmm. and very painful. Um and there are lots of things that I didn't put in the book because I spent a lot of time making peace with them. Yeah. And I let go of them. So I didn't want to now rehash, rehash them. them for the sake of like noise and like controversy or like you know <laughs> reactions <laughs> and whatever. I thought it was like unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um but it is better now than it's ever been before and you know i feel quite guilty about one thing and that is that i don't feel like i put a lot of my mom in the book in terms but you did give her like an incredible chapter but like yeah. in terms of sprinkling her yes, around more and in terms of this specific experience mm-hmm. because my mom and like my dad comes from like a proper indian very conservative very close minded almost ignorant like family and like society you know mm-hmm. 
And so in many ways, my mom coming around to my life mm -hmm. and to who I really am mm -hmm. and like accepting that is actually a lot more meaningful and a lot more symbolic of what human growth and like real love without judgment, what mm -hmm. that really looks like. So why did you not put her as much in this? Like in terms of that particular part of your journey? I think because like the, the relationship I have with my mom while also fractured for his own for its own reasons, is very different to the relationship I had with my dad. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, I think the book is about this journey I take through life in terms of like navigating um, a psychological space and a political space and like whatever. And I think in that way, my dad was more influential, okay. you know. But if I had to write a book about other experiences, like I think the experience of love and care mm -hmm. and forgiveness and, you Which, know, that so you kind of thing. another book? That's, that's what you're saying here? No, we'll discuss that afterwards. Yeah. But, yeah, like... Pressure. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. But so in terms of that, then your mother would come yeah. out, like, a yeah. lot more. Because everyone offers you different lessons, and I was just at a point with this book mm -hmm. where it was about a different lesson instead of that one. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, every time you speak, you just make me so happy. I'm, I'm <laughs> legitimately so happy you're here. Like, my brain keeps being like, okay, just pause. It's going to be okay. <laughs> so now, okay, the last thing I, I want to, like, speak to you about, which I think for me was a really important part of this conversation that you were having about your life and yourself, and is that of mental health. Because, like, last year, my mental health went squiffy as hell. Mm. And I'm one of those people who I'm like, my brain is my thing. I'm like, yes. yeah, cool, got boobs and, like, eyes. Yeah. We all have our things. But I'm yeah. like, my brain has always been, like, the one thing I'm like, this is my offering to the world. And yes. last year, hey, yeah, it was a mess, right? Yeah. And so, like, reading your chapter, like, your depression, a, a journal, like, in terms of, like, your mental health, was it difficult to write about that, to, to actually be able... Because you, you know us brown people. <laughs> mental health don't exist. No, exactly. Like, it's, exactly. it's, it's just you're, you're yeah. fine or you need prayers. Yeah. I don't know if it's the same with you guys, but, like, Definitely. in Christians, like, you just need prayers. Yeah. Like, my, I once was, like, talking to my mom about, I think it was either depression or... Or we were talking about some sort of emotional mm. thing. And mm. she was just like, you watch too much TV. I was like, oh, Satan. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's that's what it that's yeah. and even like there was a time when I was even discussing with her about um how she she was in a very, very abusive relationship, yeah. right? And I'm like, that has to have some emotional scars. You should go see someone about yes. that because like the dude was and no, it was just it was no, right? Yeah. And she's like, No, why would I do that? I'm not crazy. Mm. And I'm like, it's not about being crazy. It's about like emotional and mental and spiritual yes. health. So yeah. with your family, like how, how did you like navigate all that? A lot of people don't talk about the chapter of the cult. The ah. <laughs> and that was part of this journey because, um, yeah, it's, it's very much the same. Like it was weird because my dad is a scientist, mm -hmm. you know, he's a, professor in orthodontics and his whole life is like science mm -hmm. so he is all about like the facts and the proof and the, you know but when it came to mental health it surprised me because he wasn't like that like mm -hmm. you know he wasn't understanding of like the medication I needed to be on and like whatever my mom 
uh, like I said, is from an extremely conservative society. And you know what? We forget that with previous generations, there's a lot of understanding from us as like the the new, younger, more woke or whatever generation. Mm -hmm. And a lot of work we need to do in getting that the denial of mental illness for previous generations is also a coping mechanism. Mm. It's also a way to survive. Because you know, if you start dealing with men, you yeah. don't want to open up that Pandora's And also, box. like, you're so busy, you must pick a struggle. You, you, you know, And you that is everything. not one of them. Like, yeah. you must just get through it, you mm. know. Um, so I, I, now I understand that. But at the time, my mother used to just annoy me because she was just, like, all about, like, oh, you must pray some more, you know. She and, like, you must prayers. pray this dua and pray that dua. And, like, you know, like, here's a thing. And, like, get on your mat and pray and, like, my grandfather always used to say, like, you can pray, but you must always tie your camel, you know? So you can't leave your camel wandering while you're on the oh, rug yeah, yeah, yeah. worshipping, you know? Because yeah. God's not going to save the camel. No. You well, must do the things. <laughs> like, you must you, do your you things. You can't just be like, hold, yeah. yeah. I love that. You know, you hashtag can pray, but you must, <laughs> you know? I love that. You must, um, you must pray, but you must tie the camel. Yeah, pray, but tie your camel. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And... Um, it's one of the reasons also that I hate religion because I'm just like, you don't understand it. You know, Islam is about facts. It's about science. The first word in the Quran is read. I love that, read. That's the first word, read, full stop. Oh, really? Yes. That is no, the no, first I'm, word I'm in the Quran. To, like, learn things read, this. full stop. And it's not read the Quran. It's read. It's read, like educate yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, read the facts, understand things. Um... And it's like confusing and you have like a meltdown and then you end up things, doing things like joining cults and out of desperation seeing the wrong doctors and taking the wrong medication. And it was a journey. And um, I just got to a point where I was like, fuck prayer and fuck religion and like, you know, screw all that stuff. Like, this is really hard. It's a difficult thing. Mm-hmm. And I had a few suicidal attempts and like, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And I'm like, no, like... God doesn't do for you until you do for yourself. Yeah. You know, you can't pray for the lottery if you don't buy a ticket. Yeah, you can't just be sitting here being like, I can win lotto tomorrow. Have you bought a ticket? No. Yeah. I'm just going to win lotto. Yeah. yeah. And and that's how I kind of like got through it and accepted it and stopped denying myself it and stopped thinking like, you know, there's something wrong with me and like, yeah. And so this is also how you got to a point where you were actively managing your mental health. Yes. Because that's also something... Um, the more I like learned about mental health things and it's it's also been like a like a four year journey because I, I used to be of the school of thought where it's sort of like, but we don't do mental health, we don't get depression. Yes. And it was when I was living in Cape Town and one of my friends I, I became really close to somebody who had bipolar. Mm. And I didn't get it. And I was just like initially I was just like, You 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 need to get your proverbial shit together. Like yes. that was I didn't ever say it out loud, but every time she'd be talking to me, I'd be like... Yeah, mm. that's what you thought. Yeah, yeah, and you're just like... And then you you realize that it's, number one, like, mental health is a mm. real thing. And number two, it's just the idea of... man. So where are you, like, right now yeah. with you and, like, managing it? Because I know reading that chapter, it was one of those things of, like, continuously having to deal with it yeah. and continuously having to, like, navigate it and yeah. stuff. And, like from experience and from like listening to people and talking to people, it, it, it affects every yeah. aspect of your life. Yeah. So where are you at now, like in terms of just your mental health and things like that? I'm at a, at a true, I think a very, very real and honest 
um, relationship with my mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does help that I have someone in my life that I don't have to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be wary of the fact that she's not going to be able to deal with it or to deal with me. Because um, I, I, in terms of I'm thinking you're talking about Becky, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be- Rebecca. <laughs> yeah. Because that, that does, it can take like a huge toll yeah. on the relationship. And, and, you know, like I went through life in my relationships where I, there was a fear of confession, uh-huh. you know. But you can't escape your mental health and things do happen when you whether you're in relationships or not, mm-hmm. you know. And you go through a process where you don't want it to happen and you don't want people to fear it so you don't confess mm-hmm. and you keep it to yourself and you're not out there as you should be and you're not the real you. Um, yeah, but then I got to a point where I was like, just fuck it. Fuck it. Take it or leave it. Like, this is who I am. It's all it's all part of the yeah it's the part of this it's package. part of this package yeah. yeah so take it or leave it and I don't actually care about having relationships if you are not strong enough to handle this yeah yeah like no because I love because I I have I have another friend who um, used to be very very scared like when we first met like number one we first met on very dicey terms but that's mm. a story for another day like yeah whatever it's, it's but so like part of the reason she didn't tell me about her mental health things because it was a case of like I can't if I tell you then you'll be scared and you'll run away yeah and because she she had a crush on me and we were like as I said dicey yeah. dicey circumstances so hid it and then um that and that was like I think the second person who had ever like properly experienced had like a really intense yeah. thing with like interaction with and she'd do things like she'd disappear for like two weeks Tiff Tiff was like, the fuck is going on here? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? How yeah. are you like this? And it's just that whole thing of... And then, like, when we once had... One day had, like, a really frank conversation about it, it was a case of, like, I didn't want to tell you. Yeah. And even when I was going through, like, deep things, it would be difficult to reach out and it would be difficult to sort of engage. So mm. I'd just, like, you know, close myself off. Yeah. And it's it it, it was one of those weird things where it was so difficult to understand at the time but like in hindsight it's like but this is it's so simple yeah and it's 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 like the way you say accepting somebody for yeah. everything they are but like the way we are so unaccepting of like when people are going through like difficult times like exactly. to do with mental health but if somebody was like oh i can't come out because i have a cold people would be like oh that's cool yeah but like when it comes to mental health, it's like, no, just get your proverbial yeah. shit together, which is yeah. a lot. Hey? I actually just think we, we need to move away from, like, classifying this as, like, mental health. It's just health. It's health. You yes. know? It's, it's just, just a medical condition. Trash. No, you're just trash. Yeah. Like, it's everything. like having, like, like uh, diabetes or Like, no bronchitis. one has kidney health. Yeah, or TB or, yeah. like, whatever, you know. Um and we accept that. And we accept that people need treatment for those things. Mm. So why do we have the stigma against mental health? And, yeah, you're right. Actually calling it mental health already sort of... What's it? Puts it in its own, yeah, like, its own box, box you know? like, and it's over like there. Like, it's a side. It's a different kind of, you know, It's a different thing. kind of health. Yeah. Guys, it's just health. It really is just health. And, yeah, and I think for me, like, the way... That's why reading that, um, the chapter also made it, made me realize how did you realize from like when you were really really young that you were going through like because yeah you, you 
how did you I don't have the the words to like define it or explain it and mm -hmm. whatever but I, I really really did like I was depressed from like a young young age and I like the first time I thought about suicide I think I was 10 or 11 so and you and you were aware of it you just didn't have the tools basically yeah to, like name yeah it exactly things. and I just hated myself and like you know I was so desperate for help but I didn't know how to ask those conversations and also like there were other struggles going on you know like mm -hmm. so there was no space for that and um you know, the chapter goes quite in, in depth about how I'd, like, dealt with this and, like, the, my feelings and, like, all that kind of thing. But I always knew. Like, I always, always knew. That is actually wildly self-aware. Because it's only last year that I realized I'm like, oh, I've actually had depressive episodes yeah. in, my, in my life. And I'm like, well, ain't that a bitch? I was just like, well, ain't that some shit. Yeah. I was, like, genuinely shocked because... Now I think it after all that time, then having like the actual words into then looking back and I hollered at my mom because when I told her because then because I went to therapy for like what like seven months last year. That was also a very harrowing experience. I hate dealing with my own shit. Yeah. Oh, my God. I hate dealing with my own yeah. shit. I just yeah, I ran away from my therapist. He but you have me, to and you should continue going. I, sh I should go. <sighs> yeah. Why are you dragging my edges on a whole podcast? But yeah, like <laughs> I told myself like. I think it was like two weeks ago that I'm going to go back. And then I chickened out. Mm. Yeah, so I'm still chickening out. Yeah. But it's fine. But again, other people with medical conditions don't miss their doctor's appointments. They don't. Yeah. They don't. Wow, that, that was unfair. <laughs> that was unfair. Just saying. No, you know, and it's fine. And so you, you, and, you and Rebecca, like, and you navigate it well. And mm. you, and like, so just because also this podcast is also about relationshiping a lot, how, like... How, what tips would you give for navigating it well? Because, like, I think that's something we've been asked a lot as Hala. People would be like, um, is there any way you could, like, give advice on, like, mm. how to, like, handle it? Because it affects people's relationships so much. Yeah. And especially your lovers, you expect so much of them. That yeah. I, don't, I don't know what it is about when you start sleeping with yeah. somebody. You feel like, you know, yeah. they, you, you expect so much more than you would, like, say, a friend or whatever. Yeah. So... How do you guys navigate that? I think the first thing, like, um, I can say mm -hmm. is never enter a relationship without making that confession up front. Okay. Because the confession is not like a disclaimer mm -hmm. or like a warning to say, oh, there's something wrong with me, mm -hmm. you know. It is self-respect yeah. more than anything else. It's respecting yourself and being self-aware and knowing yourself well enough to not put who you are in a situation where you have to compromise that part of you mm. just for the sake of the relationship. Because, like I said, someone who has diabetes can't, like, conveniently compromise their diabetes yeah. or, like, sort take of like it away for, like, the yeah, diabetes for, for the while. sake of their relationship. And so you don't have to do that either. Mm -hmm. So never enter into a relationship without presenting fully like who you are and accepting yourself and loving yourself for that and be proud of it you know like mm. own that shit um and then in our relationship because that truth is is out there and I'm aware of it and I know what it looks like um well you don't always know what you what it looks like because you're so deep in it mm -hmm. um I think the most important thing is to hopefully like have a partner who 
is un- completely unselfish mm-hmm. and completely like understanding and to constantly have conversations with them mm-hmm. because no human is a mind reader yeah you know in as much as you can um have conversations about what it feels like and what it looks like mm-hmm. and what how you know you've dealt with it before and like what the symptoms are mm-hmm. because when i'm going through an episode i don't talk i'm not a talker mm-hmm. like i go mute and i lie like in a ball on the couch and my whole world is black and white you know and i want the person i love to know that because the human condition is to feel distance mm-hmm. and to feel maybe useless because you can't do anything and you can't save anyone but you got to let them know in the process of your relationship and in the process of your love that that is what it looks like and it's not personal and it is going to hurt because they love you and you love them mm-hmm. but you will come out of it and yeah so on that deep advice <laughs> we're going to wrap up the actual conversation but i i warned you though we have our quick fire questions go for it okay Now you see cuz cuz oh, I I'm I feel like I love this, you I've, I've already lost my my notes and so you should be scared no kid <laughs> okay so our quick fire questions yeah. this is something you were starting on the podcast so you will be the first one right mm-hmm. where we just vibes. ask five questions and you just give one or other of the answers okay okay so the first one giving head or getting head i can't say both oh yeah sure okay both both yeah nice get it sex in the morning or sex at night in the morning always during the day it just always feels naughty like during the day yeah oh i like yeah actually it does cuz lights are all on the world's lights are yeah, all yeah, on yeah yeah and everyone it just feels like oh they have such sad lives and we having fun <laughs> <laughs> because we're sexing during the day yes <laughs> i love that okay strap on or a vibrator actually most of the time neither neither you're not a sex toys person i am no i i mean we are <laughs> and you know i am but we do enjoy like the organic like real skin on skin body vibes Ooh, get yeah. it get it sending you sending nudes yay or nay yay yay guys never sent a nude you've never done it no I what just, is wrong with you I, i can barely take a selfie guys like sending nudes is a lot no 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 i feel you i feel you definitely but i mean When it's with your lover, it's a safe space, boss. Yeah, I know, but like, then you gotta like, you gotta like do in the angles and ah, oh, it's a mess. <laughs> anyway, hard and fast or slow and sensual? Combination of both. It's like music, you know. Sometimes you play the notes, sometimes you don't play the notes. So. Oh yeah, guys, that's another thing we forgot to tell you about, Hadi. You you like you play whole instruments, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I try. <laughs> like yeah, no. So next time you're on the podcast, you know you're playing us the guitar, right? You're going to oh, be guys, out here I like wooing it's going to be so bad. No, it's fine. You're going to be out here wooing people. That's how you mack on a podcast. Cuz like people can't see your cute face. So now they're going to have to listen to the guitar. So apparently this is the last one and Amanda has slipped it into the Google Docs. Will you marry the wildness? Yeah. Okay, cool. Sure. We're now engaged. Okay. You are now engaged to a I whole podcast. I can't just skip the whole engagement part and just go yeah, straight to the no, marriage. No, everybody loves being engaged, guys. Okay. Cuz you have to have that time. Were, were you guys engaged for a while? Or did you We decided to get married after 3 weeks of knowing each other. Sweet Jesus. Oh wow. I don't I don't actually you see we did not talk yeah. enough. Yeah. And we only spent like 3 days together in like real life and then she went to England for like a long time. Wait, I'm sorry. What? Yeah. Like I feel like wait, what? Wait. Yeah. It was 3 days. Yeah. And then she went to England and 
and then on back. the no 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 on the phone on the phone yeah on the phone we were like so one wow that is hard lesbianism mm. ming, 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 ming. yeah as you guys lesbianed the hell out of that yeah and then we did and then yeah so but we met in june mm-hmm. three weeks later we were engaged and in december was our wedding of wow. the same year yeah guys there's no time like the the wow you know what <laughs> what a wow but like it's fine because there's another pending podcast coming about this but now we're going to wrap up the podcast but where can everyone find you on social media uh so i'm on the twitters on the twitters on the twitters um at sage of absurd but if you just search my name like no one else has it so it'll come up <laughs> um i'm also on facebook but my facebook is generally like the same as my twitter so and it's a public profile oh nice um but i'm happy to accept friend requests i don't mind and then also on instagram same handle as facebook so also at sage of absurd so we will put all of that information in these show notes so you can just go and find them i li- i recently learned about show notes for podcasts mm, like smart you huh? smart i know <laughs> guys me i'm going back to a whole university to do this leon's outside so also leon's outside dying on us guys like he's got a chest infection he's very sad but Yeah. So guys, Haji, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really had fun. Oh, I was very nervous, but it was so cool. No, like no, I was very nervous. <laughs> like I woke up today hungover as all hell, but I woke up at 6 a.m. being like, "Oh shit." No, okay, let me just WhatsApp her and be like, "No, let's just cancel this." Cuz now I was just I was freaking out. I woke up and I was like, "What have you done?" Oh, I'm like, glad that like, you didn't care. It's like a whole book. Like it's it's a whole book. A whole book you love. You can't do this. Yeah, no, I had one of those like crisis of self days. So I was just like you can't do this. Oh, I'm very I'm very this? glad that we did this and very grateful as well. I had a great time. Oh, did you? Yes. Yay. Great, we didn't great. give you sneakers. Damn it. Ah, that's okay guys. You gave me time. And coffee. And coffee. Why are you why are you not telling us them about the and coffee? And coffee. Yeah, guys, guys today the there was coffee the on one. the wildness. The coffee is the one. When you don't drink, you depend on coffee and cigarettes. Coffee and cigarettes mm-hmm. just keep you going. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay, so guys, we are going to wrap up now. Make sure that you find the podcast on all of your podcasting platforms. We're no longer just on SoundCloud, which is very interesting. I'm very proud of us. I didn't do it. Though. Yeah, you guys are on uh, iTunes as well. Yes, right? I mean, on like Apple, Apple Podcasts. Podcasts. Yeah. We're trying to fix our Stitcher. Stitcher is such a hoax. <laughs> I hope you hear this Stitcher. You're a hoax. But yes, also make sure you follow the Wildness on Instagram and Facebook. I was told to tell you that by our baby dyke intern because we must be grown-ups. And so even though my co-host is not here, we are still out, bitch.